welcome back to the What the Fork Sunderland preview show. Sunderland returned back to league action in the perfect manner as goals from Ahmad Diallo, Alex Pritchard and Ella Sims meant we swept away promotion chasing Millwall 3-0 at the Stadium Light. Also, our biggest home win of the season. And the football gods have shone on us and West Brom, to be fair, by putting our game on Monday night so we can enjoy England versus France this weekend, hopefully. Um, it has been quite a while since we last faced each other. Um, so to keep us updated and let us know what's been going on down in the Midlands is Louis from the Baggies podcast. Louis, how are you, mate? You OK? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. Quick, 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 uh, quick quiz question for you. When was the last time Sunderland and West Brom played each other and what was the score? Wow. Uh, oh, I would say 15-16 is mm. the season I'm going to go for, which I don't think, judging by your reaction. And I think I think we may have won the last meeting 2-1. Close, but no cigar. It was January 2017. You won 2-0 okay. with Darren Fletcher. and Darren Fletcher, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brunt Remember the scored. The last time we played at the Stadium Light was October 2016 when... Patrick Van Anholt scored for us and Nasser Chadley scored for you. So it's been wow. quite a while. It's been a while. Um, things have not got better for either of us, really. Well, actually, <laughs> slightly better for us because that was a bad season, but by the by. But um, one of the more recent things, obviously, we returned at the weekend, but but you haven't. So it's going to be your first game since you beat Stoke on the 12th of November. That was your, I think, third win and third clean sheet in a row since Carlos Corbrands came in. Obviously, it's been a few weeks since you last played, so things changed. The World Cup's obviously changed mindsets, but... How has the mood been the fan base since Corbrand's taken over in, in those last few games? Yeah, definitely pretty positive. Of course, we started off with the defeat to Sheffield United and we thought, uh, oh dear, here we go again. We've got another manager in, uh, same set of players. Uh, and is he going to be able to get a tune out of out of the players? Of course, Sheffield United, very good side, probably didn't expect to beat them, uh, especially in his first game when he'd only had, I think, three days to to work with the players. But after that, we started to see, especially the Blackpool game on the Tuesday night after we started to see kind of the effects of Corbrand's sort of coaching style and especially defensively, we'd been conceding far too many early goals. You know, I'm sure that um, lots of people have been looking at the stats and it's, you know, we've conceded like the most goals in the first half of games, especially under Steve Bruce rather than Corbrand. But, you know, that was one of the things that needed tightening up and he's certainly done that. Of course, three clean sheets, as you mentioned there on the bounce is probably the most important thing for me and, and probably for him as well as, as as somebody probably prides himself on starting off with that defensive base. But yeah, we're, we're, we're quite positive um, after those the, the past three games, looking more solid defensively and, and pitching in with those goals, especially against Stoke. That was um, probably the most complete performance I've seen from Albion this season. And then yeah, it's a bit annoying that the World Cup came along to, to spoil it, to be honest. You know, we're just gathering a little bit of momentum, possibly, you know, pushing away from the relegation zone, which is where we were before Corbran came in and kind of thought maybe, um, you know, the World Cup break could have waited a little bit, uh, although we're all enjoying the World Cup at the moment. You know, it's quite difficult uh, as an Albion fan to, to watch that form kind of be halted. We can only hope it continues after after the break and they still remember how to play like they did before they went away. Yeah, because I was going to say, obviously... I think everyone from the outside looking in can see how difficult of a season it's been for West Brom. But you touched on sort of his style coming to the fore a little bit. It, it can take a while for a team to to kind of hit that sort of form or the style of any new manager. And, and I think, you know, it's happened a few times for us with Allardyce, Alex Neal. It took a, a couple of weeks to get there. But are you seeing a real change almost immediately with Corbran's style compared to what you had with um, Steve Bruce? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We seem to play in a, a, bit, a bit deeper defensively. Um, I think Corbrand's kind of recognised that the two defenders he's got available to him, of course, Shemi Ajayi should be back now after the international break. Very, very quick defender. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you'll have uh, come across him before. But yeah, he's very quick. So Bruce played quite high line um, when Ajayi was in the side, but kept it the same when Ajayi came out the side injured. So it was quite odd um, considering, you know, that obviously you've got really fast defender and as soon as he's injured, you're down to Carl Bartley, who's obviously not very fast and is certainly getting on a little bit. And I think Corbrand's almost immediately recognised that, dropped the defensive line a little bit and, you know, they're great box defenders, uh, Dara O'Shea and, and Bartley. So he's basically allowing the defence to do what they're good at, which is to defend you know, in that sort of block. And it's it's quite, it's, yes, it's a little more defensive, but I think we're more set up to, to hit teams on the break and kind of with those faster movements in the attacking third, I think. So, yeah, we, we've seen a bit of a style change. We've, we've got a bit uh, sort of lower defensively, not trying to dominate the ball perhaps as much, although the stats would say that we have had the majority of possession, but it's not really kind of obsessive trying to pick the ball up off the goalkeeper's toes like Bruce, has, Bruce did with us. But... Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised how quickly the change has come around, to be honest. Of course, the Sheffield United game was probably a bit too too soon for him to, to implement anything really proper. That's probably why we didn't see that type of performance. But certainly within a week, we, we, we started to really feel the benefits in terms of a result, but also see those benefits and see that coaching on the pitch as well. I think obviously, as I touched on before, it's been a poor season and a lot of that understandably stems from Steve Bruce and it, I mean I sit and work from home every day so I could see the negativity that was aimed towards him and I thought ah shock horror another team that doesn't seem to get on too well with Steve Bruce and um, we're no strangers to him but it's been a long time since he, he managed Sunderland and to be completely blunt um, he did okay for us for a while until things unraveled and then blamed us for apparently never accepting him because he was a Geordie but like that's not true we, we didn't take him because he went on horrendous runs a form where he didn't win. But at West Brom, it, I kind of thought maybe it might work because obviously he's done well with Hull and he's done well with, he did all right with other clubs around that level. So so why did things not work with Steve Bruce? Yeah, I mean, it's the million dollar question, I think, as to why things didn't work. You know, champ, he's a real promotion specialist. I think he's got, you know, four promotions with, with two different clubs with, as you mentioned, Hull and, and Birmingham. Um yeah, I mean, last season, I think he came in, the squad wasn't as good as I think a lot of fans and pundits thought it was going to be, um, you know, in the championship coming down for the Premier League. And I think he inherited a, a pretty, uh, I'll say, stale bunch of players that have been around for quite a while, not really proved, uh, you know, been worth their salt, really, in terms of transfer fees that we paid for them. And I think we kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt last season with some of the performances put in saying, you know what, I think he probably needs the summer to get in some better players and uh, especially in the attacking third last season where we, we we couldn't finish our chances to save our lives. You know, defensively, we were pretty solid under Valer and Ishmael beforehand, but, you know, the chance conversion was pretty, pretty dreadful. But, you know, going into this season, he signed some pretty <laughs> amazing players for championship level. You know, John Swift, Jed Wallace, um, Okaya Kushlu, who we had in the Premier League under Big Sam. Um, yeah, there's the three terrific players there coming in straight into your starting eleven, attacking flair, and you also have the added benefits of Daryl DK coming back from injury. He was out for for almost all of his time uh, since joining in January. So, yeah, we kind of thought that this will be it for Bruce. You know, he's got those players behind him. He can kind of um, coach them the way he wants to. And yeah, I mean, it, we started off pretty well without getting the results. And I think that was a big element of it. We weren't getting the results, despite the fact performances probably deserved them. So I look back at the game uh, against Watford, where um, Ishmael Assar scored that 
halfway line goal. Um, we were very, very good in that game, but we missed four or five probably clear goal scoring chances in those in that game. The same can be said for Burnley. These are, you know, obviously two very good teams who 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 we sort of, I'd say probably tore apart if I have to be you know strong on that. Uh, but we couldn't finish the chances, and because the results didn't come from those sorts of performances, the players you could see their confidence start to drop and starting to wonder when that win was going to come. Of course, we beat Hull, I think it was 5-2 in the end at the Hawthorns, and we kind of thought, oh, well, this is the time now. They've got their result, they've scored the goals, and now they can move on. But, you know, it, the same story kind of happened the next game, and you could see their confidence start to get quite low, and it became quite difficult for Bruce to, to pick them up off the floor, to be honest. And I think the players became a little bit fed up with with kind of his coaching methods. I think they, they kind of became a, a little bit out dated with the players that he was working with in in the end but yeah I think ultimately the results not coming at the start of the season was a big factor in him, him going and indeed last season as well because when you look at his managerial record with us overall I think that's I think that's the worst win percentage of his career if I'm right in saying so yeah I think last season was was we, we were willing to write that off but now we look back and we kind of look at this season and last season put together we kind of think yeah he actually didn't do a very good job and maybe we shouldn't have given him the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, we saw the confidence dwindle in the players after not getting those results early doors when performances warranted it. And we kind of saw that spiral and then performance weren't what performances weren't warranting those wins. So yeah, disappointing uh, as I did want Bruce to do well. You know, he did get quite a bad rap with with Newcastle and we, we hoped that he would be able to turn things around and kind of, you know, get the media off his back and whatnot. And he wasn't able to do it, unfortunately. I was going to say, it's funny with Bruce, because I find like almost every club he's been at, apart from Hull, who seem to really like him for, I'm guessing, obvious reasons, yeah. seem to end up not minding him at the start or, or even liking him, perhaps. And towards the end of it, it ends up where you just get sick of him. Like, you know, them lot up the road never liked him from day one, to be yeah. fair. But we end up getting really tired of him at the end. Um, I mean, I don't speak for everyone, but a lot of people got a bit tired at the end. And there's other clubs where he's been to where just, towards the end, people have just gone, oh, I don't want him anymore. Like, this is great, Nummy, that's great, Nummy. Did he have that with West Brom or was it just a kind of mutual understanding that it hadn't worked? A little bit, a little bit of that mutual understanding, but there was kind of, he was starting to shift the blame towards the players towards the end of his time and he was kind of starting to go, oh, well, uh, you know, too many diff- mistakes. And it was a bit like a broken record in those press conferences. You know, I sat through a couple of them and I was kind of like, he said that last week and the week before and the week before, and these are things that you could change in training if you, you know, you you well, a decent, you know, decent coach probably would change these things in training. And it was becoming a bit of a broken record. He was starting to blame the players towards the end, which I think as a manager, that's a big sign that, you know, you've lost the dressing room and the players aren't really playing for you anymore. And yeah, so so I, I think we did kind of see that. I think there was a bit of a mutual understanding with with Bruce that it was probably time to go. And I think he knew that he wasn't able to do the job that they'd ask him to do, which was to get us to the Premier League. And I mean, we were closer to, we well, we are still closer to League One than we are the Premier League. So, yeah, I think there was a bit of a mutual understanding, but also a little bit of deflection of blame onto the players. And I think that probably caused, um, you know, the axe to, to kind of be wielded towards him, to be honest, from from fans and and, and the club, obviously, with, 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 with sacking him in the end. Do you think that potentially that's the end for Steve Bruce as a, as a manager? Or do you think he's got a, a chance elsewhere? Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to have another job. I think that that'll probably be it for him. I I think this was kind of regarded as his last 
kind of stab at it. Um, you know, because if he got us into the Premier League, he could have that one last chance at managing in the Premier League. But he's not going to get the Premier League job, uh, a Premier League job anymore. I'd be quite doubtful he'd get one in the Championship. So it's either looking abroad or even lower. And I'm not convinced that he's got the heart really to to continue and, and go that low, to be honest. So, yeah, it's a shame for him because he's had a fantastic career at, uh, in English football, the most games managed and, and whatnot. But, you know, I, I can't see him getting an, another job in those top two tiers. It just depends whether he'd take anything below, really. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%, actually. You touched on a few of the signings that came in and um, you mentioned some of the names that were obviously recognisable in terms of championship yeah. quality, John Swift. Jed Wallace, but there's also Tom Rogic came through, um, obviously yeah, yeah. Celtic for years, Martin Kelly, um, Brandon Thomas-Asante, Eric Peters. You mentioned a few of them before, but how have they all fared and who's been like the best signings from the summer so far? I think oh, it's difficult out of the, the three that I mentioned. Those were the kind of big names, you know, and, and I, yeah, it's difficult to say who's been the best, but I think Wallace and Swift have added the creative force that we were so dearly missing last season. Yukuslu has, has come in and he's, you know, so good in midfield. I mean, so calm on the ball, allows us to kind of get us out of danger in situations where, for example, we've got players, you know, like uh, Jay Livermore on the bench um, quite a lot now. I know he's still club captain, but, you know, he's quite rash in possession. Okay, Yukuslu's this nice, calm foot on the ball. And it's you can tell he's an international footballer and you can tell he's been uh, around the block in the Liga as well. So, yeah, I think those three have been sensational. Brandon thomas Asante, as you, as you mentioned as well, there's done, done pretty decently. Scored a lovely goal um, in the game before we, we broke up for the World Cup with an overhead kick against Stoke. He's kind of, we didn't kind of expect him to be um, that uh, first choice striker, but I think he's kind of starting to wield his way into that mould as Daryl DK's nursed back to full fitness. He is fit now, so maybe we'll see him come straight back in. But thomas Asante, we didn't really expect him to be number one choice, but I think the performances have warranted him kind of getting that place. Martin Kelly and Eric Peters, two very experienced head players that you wouldn't mind having around at all. And I think Peters is quite well liked by Corboran. Um, I think Martin Kelly hasn't played under Corboran yet, which is interesting. He played for the under-23s instead of playing in that last game against Stoke. Maybe that's an injury, but yeah, I think he's he's he did well when um, called upon for Bruce. And then Rogic, I think, is a really interesting talent for me. I think I'm looking forward to seeing more from him. You can see he's got a bit of a, an eye for a pass and he's very good at taking on players. You know, he, he likes to pick the ball up from quite deep and kind of rove through. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you'll have seen a few of the goals he scored for Celtic where he essentially runs the length of the pitch past, past most of the opposition players. So we're starting to see a little bit more of that. And I think Corbran's quite keen to bring that out. But yeah, overall, it, it, those signings, those especially those those four that I meant that I didn't mention at the at the start of the podcast. I mean, you know, they're they're definitely very good squad options, and especially Rogic, who I'm hoping can kind of break into the first team, at, well, first eleven, um, because you know you can clearly see he's got that talent. I mean, he's <laughs> millions of appearances with Celtic, and the fans love him. Didn't really understand why he'd left, so. You know, it would be great to see him get back to, to full force. Now he's not gone to the World Cup with Australia. Yeah, he's a, he's a great player. I live in, in Glasgow. I don't think I mentioned it beforehand, but obviously the listeners will know. And yeah, I've watched Rogic for, for years. Um, and he's he's immensely talented in terms of just pure natural talent. It's funny you mentioned Jake Livermore and, and we mentioned Martin Kelly. It was a quiz question the other day, of, or it will be a quiz question in time. Two players between them that got eight caps for England, unbelievably. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe that. Um, no Livermore was in Livermore was in the Southgate as well, quite worryingly, a couple of them. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100% true. Again, more caps than I'll ever have for England. So, you know, I'm sure he'll laugh <laughs> at me saying that. But um, I, I was quite shocked to see that he had seven yeah. caps. Um, it feels like it wasn't that long ago that, you know, Slavin Bilic was getting you promoted and you were back in the Premier League and all that kind of stuff. But it, it, it has actually been a while, to be honest. And obviously, when you, you did come back down, you always want to aim to bounce straight back. That's just the way that it's meant to work. So the parachute payments work, you come straight back up and, and kind of Norwich are almost the experts at it. Um, yeah. But you finished a really disappointing sort of 10th, which is kind of a, a non e position. It's not terrible. It's, it's nowhere near yeah. where you want it to be. But where you are right now, after the start of the season that you've had in December 2022, What's West Brom? What West Brom's fans' expectations for for where West Brom should be and where you should be going now? Yeah, it, it depends on you know you know which side of this sort of fan base you you speak to. To be honest, I'm sure it's the same with with every club. But there's you know split into probably three ways. I mean, you know, one way is probably written off um, any form of promotion charge, any form of playoff charge, and perhaps the other half have gone. Maybe we can reach the playoffs. I think. Realistically, I think with a good run of form, I think we could possibly pinch the playoff places. I think that, or one of the playoff places, I think that's probably the most realistic thing. But I, I mean, ideally, we just want a bit of kind of stability. We want to see some some better, uh, you know, better performances from the side. And I think we've started to see that. And I think if we repeat those performances that we've seen over the past three games, I think there's no reason why we can't pinch one of the playoff places. I think seen a few people touting automatic promotion, which I think is a very, very, very long shot. But I think playoff places for me, I think is probably a realistic expectation. And I mean, like, you know, fifth or sixth, you know, just nicking in there at the end of the season. But, you know, there's a long road ahead of us. We could slip back into our old ways, to be honest, and end up back in the relegation zone. It's so, uh, so, you know, confusing as to whether this good bit of form is just a just a bit of a new manager bout to whether it's actually something a bit more substantial. But we can certainly see the improvements and if they keep going on. I, I think pinching a playoff place may be our, our best bet of, of going back up. It's funny because there'll be people listening thinking, aren't West Brom fourth bottom? And yes, West Brom are fourth bottom, but there's only eight points between sixth and fourth bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what <laughs> what is this season? That's three wins, essentially. Yeah. Like, it's, and it's, I think that's probably the most worrying thing about the entire season. I think feel like outside of Burnley, there's no team that I've seen this season from a Sunderland perspective that has really blew us away. And we were tuning up against them at half time. It feels like anyone can be anyone and anyone can finish anyway. So the kind of you can have that expectation despite being fourth bottom, which is just weird, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's the championship for you though. You get a Decent seat, decent team, bad run of form at the start of the season, and and nobody really ever writes them off. And I think that was the same last season, to be honest with us. You know, we slipped, I think, as low as 14th last season. So, you know, team people still weren't writing us off right right up until the end. And I think that was probably, you know, a bit of a mistake last and last season not to write us off with the side that we had. But I think this season maybe uh, there's a bit of truth maybe in in not not sticking us in as relegation favourites. I think Corbrand came in as well and did a maybe not a similar job at Huddersfield, but Huddersfield ended the season quite low and then he came in and obviously pulled them all the way up as well. So he's got he's got form for it um at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the players that you spoke about before, we talked about new signings, but what are the other players that are currently currently on form and, and that we should maybe be looking out for? Because three on the bounce, obviously players are in form. Yeah. Um I think I think maybe on the opposite flank, Dean Garner's been doing a, a pretty decent job uh, without maybe massively having the end product. I think 
he does open up a lot of space for the rest of the attackers to operate in. I think he kind of draws quite a few players towards him naturally. I'm sure you you know every you know quite a few uh, Sunderland fans will have seen him when when Bilic took us up. He was he was incredible with sort of skilling uh, and dribbling down the left hand side. And I think he's starting to rediscover that form. And although not really having the goal contributions, and in fact to be quite plain missing uh, several sitters over the past three games or so, you know he's still you know, still drawing those players towards him, creating space for for what is a pretty pretty stacked front line. So he's been really good. Uh, Carl Bartley's had a bit of a resurgence, if I have to be honest, under Corbran, as, as well as everybody has. But, I, you know, I really enjoyed Carl Bartley's performances. You know, it just shows that when you get him to do what he's good at, which is basically head kick defend, uh, he's actually pretty decent. So he's been he's been good. But, you know, in an attacking sense, I think Dean Garner has been, been uh, you know, much improved, especially under Bruce, actually. I think Bruce... Not sure what he did to him, but, you know, he looked a broken man, Dean Garner, really. He looked a bit lost under Ishmael, but Bruce came in and kind of picked him up. And I think that's that's one of the strong points of Steve Bruce is, is motivation, confidence, kind of getting players off the off the feet and, and, and doing that. So, yeah, I think Dean Garner's probably, apart from those new signings, is is, is a man to watch out for. But Bartley's also been in, in good form. I was looking at sort of the, the headlines as I always do before um, we do any of these sort of preview shows to see what the, the top headlines are, if there's any injuries, anything like that. And then um, the top headline was quite an interesting one. I don't know where he's done the interview and I found it quite quite an intriguing one. One of my favourite people in football wasn't last season when we played in the playoffs, obviously, but was it's Darren Moore. He just seems like yeah, lovely the nicest guy. guy on the planet. Um, and I kind of weirdly wish him success um, in everything he does because he seems lovely, but he... I think he did an interview and he was talking about his time at West Brom and he was saying that, you know, maybe West Brom should have never sacked him. Mm-hmm. And every football fan base has that wonderful hindsight moment and it's pointless and it's a complete waste of energy. But nonetheless, has he got an element of truth to that? Or is that just wishful thinking from his side, thinking he could have done better than the other managers did? Oh, no, absolutely. I think I I, I was very shocked the night that we did sack him. It was after a nil-nil draw with Ipswich, I think, which... And we were fourth, if I remember rightly, too. Yeah, so, I remember yeah, that. Um, it, I, I was baffled when when he uh, when when he was sacked. You know, I remember saying to to to, to friends who also support Albion, I was like, "What what are they doing?" I mean, we're, we're nowhere near crisis. I think we'd had a couple of draws on the bounce. I don't even think we'd lost. I mean, yeah, there, there is a lot of truth in that, Darren Moore. I don't know how far he could have taken us, but I certainly think that he was further. You know, further along than maybe somebody like an Ishmael or a Bruce in, in in getting Albion to tick. Really, we discussed Sam Allardyce off air. Um, Sam Allardyce has this amazing record for keeping teams up. He's like the doctor of making sure you stave off relegations. So he goes to West Brom, and you think, oh, well, there's another relegation he's going to stave off, and you ruined <laughs> his record. You ruined his record. But um, Anyone I've ever spoke to who's had some other as a manager, obviously with um, Sunderland as well, tends to have loved him because I think when you have him in charge, you see what he does, you see how actually intelligent he is and, and what he uses with the sports science and you, you really get on board with it and he's quite good at galvanising. But it didn't really work for him at West Brom. Did the fans like take to him as well? Or was it, again, was it one of those, it just didn't work? Um, to be honest, I was I, I was a big fan of, of him, if I'm honest. I think that he gets a really kind of mixed in with dinosaur you know kind of manager bracket i'd probably stick bruce in there but i probably wouldn't stick big sam in there i think he's a lot more intelligent as you said than than he gets the credit for tactically i think he's very very aware i don't think he's quite got 
you know, the most flamboyant ideas to to, to get through games, as I think we we probably both know. But you know, he's certainly a very intelligent intelligent uh, manager, and I I would, yeah, I'd give him a lot of lot of kind of credit for for the work he the work he did in some of the games for Albion. You know, he very nearly sort of kept us in the mix mix for safety when we looked down and out by the time he came in and. Yeah, I I, th- I think he did overestimate, uh, underestimate. Sorry, the the task that he had in in hand when he came into the club um, uh, mid December. I think it was we were we were we were rock bottom. So, yeah, I, I think he did uh, underestimate the task, and I think that's probably on on him rather. Than, and you know the players, you know that that probably weren't good enough for the level. But when he started to get those loan signings in, so he brought in uh, Yakuslu, Maitland Niles from from Arsenal. He brought in. Uh, uh, Diagna from from Galatasaray who came in and missed quite a few chances. I mean, if if he'd have scored some of the chances that he was offside for, which he was offside more often than not for us. I mean, if he'd have scored those chances, um, we we may still be sitting in the Premier League to, uh, um, to this day. But obviously, wouldn't plonk my hopes on on Diagna trying to save us. But you no, know, Big Sam. I think as soon as he got those loan players in, he, you you kind of started to see the 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 kind of intelligence and. Uh, and the game plan from him that you didn't really see when he didn't have his own players at his disposal. So, yeah, I think he's um, he's he's fairly um, fairly liked for, for by Albion fans. To be honest, he's very well respected. That's for sure. I think they can, although he's not really, you know, we're not a massive fan of him because obviously he didn't keep us up in the end. But you know, we can certainly see what he was trying to do, and we can certainly see uh, the impact that he was beginning to have with with some of those players. And if he'd have perhaps stayed on a little bit longer or got his own players in a bit earlier. Then I, I think he'd have probably kept us up and and, and had success with us. I love Big Sam. I love him a lot. Um, <laughs> on to something as a, as a club. I think obviously we're now in December, and I think people are starting to see kind of what we're all about this season, which is nice. Um, we've probably had a better start than we could have imagined, especially when you you tie in all the injuries that we've had and the situation surrounding the the injuries to two strikers, which were out for eleven games and not playing with a striker for the best part of eleven games. It's not what anyone hoped for, but. Obviously, you don't watch us weekly, and the same with that, don't watch West Brom. But from what you have seen of Sunderland, what have you made of this season so far? Is it as, as you expected, or maybe even slightly better? I I think it's probably where I expected you know yourselves to be. I think you're, you're tenth at the moment. If, correct me if I'm wrong, tenth. Yeah, I think um, that's about where I expected you to be, and expect you to be come the end of the season. I I kind of bigged you up as, as as people were kind of putting you around the bottom half. I said maybe mid-table, possibly pushing towards the playoffs, to be honest. I think Tony Mowbray's a fantastic manager, to be honest. You know, we've we've had him, of course, at Albion. He brought us a lot of success and really nice football and, and a promotion. So, yeah, I'd say that's probably, you know, with the squad that you've got and, and the manager, I think the manager will only improve the squad that you've got as well. I think he's excellent. So, yeah, we've we've only got high praise to to speak of with Mowbray, but yeah, I think with 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 yourselves, I think it's about where I where I where I expect you to be, and I think you know I've seen a few Sunderland fans saying that's overachieving, but for me, I thought that I thought that you around mid table. Obviously, the season's not done yet. You know, you could go lower or higher, but you know, I think that's where that's that's whereabouts I'd expect you to be. Yeah, I think everyone would take it as well. I wanted to chat to you about Tony Mowbray because it's funny we've it's been very manager heavy based, but yeah. one of those things. Yeah. Obviously, Not many matchups, yeah. Yeah, like loads. When it, like the more <laughs> I think about it, there's more and more and more. But Tony Mowbray is probably you know the, the big one, I suppose. Obviously, living in Glasgow, Celtic fans are not the, the biggest fans of Tony Mowbray. He didn't do very well there. Yeah. At, at Hibs, he didn't do fantastically well. And at Middlesbrough, he was kind of handed a, a bad hand in some ways. Blackburn fans really like him. You look at his time at West Brom, was supremely successful. And I think... 
the idea of what Tony Mowbray has in his head of how football A should be played, B, how he wants his club to be ran and how he wants his club to be looked, looked at, sorry, appears to be what it was at West Brom. Um, obviously, we're a few years on now, but what can he bring to Sunderland? We're starting to see bits and pieces, but from your experience, what do you think he will bring to Sunderland in the coming years? I think he'll bring a very nice brand of football, to be honest. I remember, you know, the kind of football he played at Albion and he always used to bang on about players having lovely soft feet is what he used to say, which is his way of kind of saying that they've got a lovely touch on the ball and stuff. And it's quite funny how he used to word it in press conferences and interviews and stuff. But that's the kind of brand of football you'd get with with nice sort of reception of the ball and kind of playing out from the back and being able to cut through defences quite well. And he likes his players with lovely soft feet. So I think that's kind of what you can expect with a brand of football um, and yeah as you said he's had mixed success with, with with the clubs that he's been to so it's not always worked but certainly from an Albion perspective he he, he made it work and he brought in quite a few uh, quite a few technical players to, to make it work as well so I suppose if you gave him that that kind of armory to go and find those players and and, and give him a helping hand with that I think you know he can definitely bring you success because he, he's got the got the managerial coaching ability to do it it's interesting because obviously we've had not we're having our own like goal of the season competition this season and a lot of them kind of come from like really lovely flowing moves from the back. We scored undoubtedly the goal of the season against Redden. I don't know whether you've seen it, but it was so it's standing yeah, yeah. and a, a lot of that stuff's kind of came in, I suppose, since Moby's been there. And, it, and it's a weird one because obviously Alex Neal, no one really wanted Alex Neal to go. And of course, Tony Mowbray came in and he's been handed the reins of a club where realistically they didn't want to change the manager, but the football has been yeah, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. It's been wonderfully attractive and he's got to have had something to do with that. So it's nice to hear that it's not just a, a flash in the pan. But from what you have seen of Sunderland, who are the players that have, have stuck out for you when you've you've watched the games? Who are the kind of ones that have been the, the most obvious and the most easy on the eye? I think I think Diallo's probably the big one for me. I mean, obviously a, a lone player and I think he's probably the obvious pick, but I'm quite excited for him. Uh, I mean, he's only kind of coming to into a bit of form or, you know, the, the, getting those contributions more so of, of late, especially once he scored in your last game, as you mentioned at the start of the show. But yeah, I think he's a he's a one to watch out for. And I think definitely against us, our fullbacks have been really hot and cold with Connor Townsend and, and Darnell Furlong, very hot and cold. So, you know, there's potential that if he gets a run on, 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 on either of those fullbacks that he could be pretty deadly for you and he's proved to be that and you know Man United fans are, are really excited about him for a reason and obviously didn't quite go as well as he'd probably hoped at Rangers as, as, as I'm sure you know but you know Sunderland I think he started to come into a little bit of form was, was was he injured or was 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 it just kind of just breaking into the side a bit of a bit of kind of bedding him in a little bit like that was it yeah just sort of breaking in and then you know he gradually I think he got a goal against Burnley so he got one goal and then he kept playing in when we had injuries, it was a case of him going in the number nine because we had no striker. So sometimes he'd be on the right, sometimes he'd be in the nine. Yeah. And at one point, he played in central midfield. Now that we've got one of the strikers back in Ellis Sims and hopefully Ross Stewart again on on Monday, Diallo kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the right person to pick. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another thing that Mowbray's quite good at with, with younger players as well. He seems to get exactly what he wants out of them, I think. Uh, um, I think is probably the best way to put it. I think that's probably down to his coaching and he kind of he's you know you speak to quite a few of players that were quite young at Albion at the time of Mowbray and they'll they'll talk about the way that he kind of shaped them into into playing his style of football and I think that's that's one thing he's probably doing with with Diallo and of course other youngsters as well coming through I know you've got a 
lad on loan from 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 PSG as well. I don't think he's 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 really featured much, but I think he's one of those players that that you know you know one of those managers that can that can get a tune out of those, especially the lone players with those with those lovely soft feet, as as he likes <laughs> to say. Did he have a Jaffa kick obsession when he was at West Brom? Because it seems like he got a Jaffa kick obsession at Blackburn. That's kind of came all the way to Sunderland. He got he was sniffing a Jaffa cake in a press conference the other day, seeing how lovely it smelled. And he's like a granddad, isn't he? It's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. He's like a, you know, you'd expect him to sort of have a flat cap on and come home from <laughs> from wherever you've been and kind of expect to see him in the armchair kind of thing. Yeah, he's got that that, that kind of uh, air about him, hasn't he? I definitely feel like it's the kind of man that would call his his wife the boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that kind of attitude. Um in regards to obviously the the final question is the same as always. I'm useless at it. I've got one right this season. If I'd got all my predictions right this season, apparently we would be third off top. So it stands <laughs> to reason that I'm probably a little bit too hopeful. If anything, I wouldn't say biased. Definitely hopeful and and definitely not the best of predictions. But um, I think it's a tough game. But obviously we've won the last two. Um, hopefully Ross Stewart's going to be back. Ellis Sims has been scoring. It it makes a massive difference as having a having a striker. Do I think we'll win three in a row? I don't know. Um, I think West Brom are a much better side than their their league position indicates. So I'd be happy with a one-one if I'm completely honest. I'd love to see us win because then you start dreaming a little bit when you've won three in a row and you've got Hull away the game after you start dreaming. But I think realistically, you're on good form. You're probably showing the form of where you should be from the start of the season, more like with the side you actually are as opposed to the side you kind of masqueraded as at the start of the season. Yeah. So I think one-one. I think that's where I'm going to go. But where would you go, Louis? I'm going to go. One nil Albion, and I'd even be tempted to knock it down to a nil nil. I don't think we look like conceding, but we had such bad form coming back from lock. I know it's lockdown, which was a longer period out, but we had such bad form coming back from from lockdown and that extended kind of break of, of playing football and in the mid season. So, yeah, I'd maybe be tempted to knock it to nil nil, but I'll go one nil because you know I'd like to start back from the World Cup and like to not think that you know I've I've enjoyed not watching Albion you know over the World Cup to be honest. So I'll go one nil. Uh, I think we'll keep a clean sheet. That's for sure. Perfect, Louis. Of course, I think last week I spoke to um, Kai, our, our Millwall guest, and he kind of gave me the lowdown on where we could listen to his sort of stuff. And he said, just in case you have a big win, you can listen to us all drowning our sorrows. So I'll say the same again. If we are to win on Monday, where can we catch your stuff, Louis? And obviously throughout the season. Yeah, you can you can catch me uh, groveling about uh, <laughs> the result if we do lose on Monday. Uh, yeah, we're on YouTube with with videos and and podcasts. We're also on you know usual podcast platforms, the Baggies Podcast. Um, we're on Twitter, Instagram. I think we're even on Facebook, even though I don't know how to use it. But yeah, all of the usual places. If you just search the Baggies Podcast, um, you'll you'll be sure to find us somewhere. Perfect, Louis. Thanks so much for popping on. I'm sure everyone's enjoyed that. Thank you. No, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.